Hello and welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show, House of the Dragon? Hello and welcome to House of Fire and Blood. My name is Caroline. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm here today with Gretchen. Hi, everyone. Uh, like Caroline said, my name is Gretchen, and I use they, them pronouns. Probably should have said your name and also had you say your name. I'm not not very good at this whole podcast thing. It's not this like for you and I years. have been doing this for years. It's fine. We're very professional. <laughs> Extremely professional podcast. Welcome. If you've decided to listen to us again, you know what we're doing. We are continuing our analysis of Fire and Blood, our deep, deep analysis. And this time we are reading, uh, we are in the chapter, what are we, like, within chapter four? It's a very, it's the first really long chapter. We're in the chapter The Sons of the Dragon. And if you have a physical book, we're starting on page 73. If you don't have a physical book, we're starting at the paragraph that begins with, by the end of 41 AC, much of the realm was deep in the throes of full-fledged rebellion. And we're ending about approximately 10 pages later on page 82, Ending on the line, but her words fell on stony ears and her tears were shed in vain, for Prince Aegon was determined to claim his birthright. That is the section we are covering. It is ten pages, and we have five pages of notes about the ten pages. So, <laughs> uh, so why don't we start with our high-level summary, Gretchen? High-level summary. Okay, so in this section... Um, uh, so last week we talked about like uh, all of the rebellions that... that prince or now king Aenys was dealing with and now he's trading all that rebellion for a holy war that uh, Magor is going to inherit and exacerbate because he mm-hmm. sure doesn't like the faith yeah so finally that issue of uh, this the in- issue of uh, bigamy and or an, and incest is finally coming to the forefront which mm-hmm. you know Aegon, Visenya and Rhaenys just kind of rolled in with their dragons and the faith was like let's not make a big deal about it mm-hmm. but then once the dragon lords seem kind of weaker the faith's like okay we're we're not really okay with your incest and your bigamy where we we were pretending we right. were being polite we were in fact never cool about this <laughs> right exactly you just didn't want to get burned right so um, these holy holy wars start up and very early on in these holy wars, um, our good boy Anus just uh, dies. Yep, sure does. Dies of uh, anxiety, maybe, maybe. We'll see. He was, or he was poisoned. Poisoned by, by who? Poisoned by the dark, spooky, scary Visenya Targaryen. <laughs> if someone dies, blame a spooky, scary lady. I just imagine her like floating into the room on like a dark cloud. You know, spooky, scary Visenya. The lights always get dimmer whatever room she walks into. They just kind of like flicker and go dark. Yeah, I don't know if you can hear it, but actually there's thunder around me right now. So when I was saying spooky scary, there was like thunder behind me. Oh my gosh, it was Visenya. She's back. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about her. So Um, uh, Anus just kind of keels over. He's young. He's like, what did they say, 35? 35. Younger than me. Damn. Damn. He's like, uh, he's... A young young boy so yeah so he dies that's bad mm-hmm. and um obviously his son his firstborn son Aegon, who's married to reyna is supposed to inherit but they were on procession around the kingdom uh, if you guys recall from the last section meeting a lot of people um uh, meeting a lot of resistance yep they were going. 
And so they were holed up in Craig Hall, surrounded by, um, I think it's the Poor Fellows, which is the small mm-hmm. folk cadet branch of the Faith Militant. Um, yep. In case we haven't made that clear, um, in the text it talks about the Warrior Sons is like the, like the knight version. That's mm-hmm. like you know mount the mounted cavalry, if you will. Um, I don't know if they're mounted, but they got armor, they got swords. Um, yeah, they got they got the real pokey sticks. Yes, they know how to. To the Pope, yes. Um, so that's one branch of the faith militant, and the other one is the Poor Fellows, which is more people, but they, you know, their their presence. They've got mm-hmm. like, they really do have sharp sticks, and they, they actually that's like actually, actually <laughs> literally sharp sticks <laughs> literally and sharp like sticks. pitchforks. <laughs> um, so yeah, Reyna and Aegon are holed up in Craig Hall, surrounded by the Poor Fellows when mm-hmm. their dad dies. Um, so and uh, Visenya goes and gets Magor. Right away. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. dies, and Visenya's like, all right, well, it is time. Right, and like, she didn't even go to the funeral, because, yeah, yet she was, she was on, um, Dragon, she was on Vagar. Uh, it must be, because she poisoned him, and she is so evil. Yes! <laughs> She's evil with a U, you know, E-V-H-U-L. Evil. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. all caps. We'll get to all more discussion about Visenya, I'm sure. There's a uh-huh. whole, we have a whole section in our notes about her. Yes. <laughs> Um, so he gets, so Magor is crowned. He's mm-hmm. crowned king. Uh, Faith Militant, not super happy about this. Mm-hmm. Um, they hole up in the Sept of Remembrance, which is the Sept that was built on the Hill of Rainies um, mm-hmm. near the Aegon Fort. Um, yeah, and they never say it explicitly, but it's called the Sept of Remembrance. I imagine it was built mm-hmm. in memory of Rainis. Yes. Okay. Yes. It hasn't been said explicitly in, in this text, at least. It might be. Maybe it's in the World of Ice and Fire. Right, yeah, I can't remember, but I, yeah, yeah, it is explicitly built as, like, a, a memory for Rainies. Yeah. Um, so they, they hole up there, and then, uh, I still think this is one of the dumbest ideas, but we can talk about that later. They're like, hey, Magor, um, how about we have a contest of champions? I also was like, this is really dumb, and it's <laughs> extraordinarily risky, but I think it, I think there's a good reason for it. So uh-huh. we'll get to it in our analysis. But yes, they have this... What's in the trial of seven? They call yes. It? Oh, because the the fucking they can't with the seven thing, but they don't even get seven. <laughs> so there's seven of the faith people that are like, we don't like you doing this. And then there's Magor and his four bros. The yep. first bro, the first bro that volunteers is named Dick Bean, and I, I just love, love him. Yeah, I love him. I mean, he dies right away, but I love him. Mm-hmm. So they have this little fight. It it was five against seven, and um, they. Wait a minute, was it when Ned goes to the Tower of Joy? Is it five against seven or three against seven? Three against seven, three I think. Against, damn it. Oh, I wish there was a parallel there. Too bad. Um, so they have this little contest, and Magor does win, but barely. Yeah, he, he, gets he just a, scrapes by. He gets a very serious bonk on the head and is like unconscious for some period, or like almost a month. Say, they don't quite say unconscious, they're just like he's like in bed for that time so i don't know if that is like, <laughs> he laid in bed for a month <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know if it's that he like was actually unconscious or not but uh, it says for 27 days magor targaryen lingered at the point of death at the point of death i i one thing i want to talk about as we go forward in our analysis here is did he suffer a traumatic brain injury at this point because his behavior question. going forward is exceptionally more violent than his behavior previous to this. Mm-hmm. Right, if we and believe the Maester stories. If Yes, exactly. And some of which I do and some of which I don't, and we can talk about why. Right, exactly. 
Uh, the reason I say that is I, I, I have limited experience with traumatic brain injuries, mostly through work, through clients of mine who mm-hmm. have had injuries and um, ha- mostly have like memory issues, but also have aggression problems. Yep. And that can really, I mean, a severe brain injury like that, a traumatic brain injury, can doesn't change you fundamentally as a person or anything like that. It doesn't like, you know, completely change your personality, but it can affect your impulse control problems. It mm-hmm. can affect how you know your emotions that kind of thing yep and i wonder how much i wonder if that happened to me mm-hmm. yeah so that's definitely something to keep an eye on um so yeah yeah i definitely want to get when we uh when we dig or when we dig deeper into our analysis i think there's some interesting theories to go into there um mm-hmm. so uh he gets better uh, after his new girlfriend arrives tyana yeah. of the tower another spooky scary lady another because we need more we do there's always room for more spooky scary ladies she has dark hair so you know right and she's from the east (laughs) extra spooky (laughs) yeah tyana she's foreign and she shows up and the very next day he gets out of bed yep and he's like i'm all better and they're like was it sorcery Mm -hmm. and then i'm like or was it a coincidence? Or did she yell at him to get up? Or is it not true? Right. We have a lot of options. <laughs> yeah, there are lots of options available. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once he gets up, uh, he doubles down on fighting the faith. Uh, mm-hmm. Does a pretty good Tywin impression mm-hmm. by like yep. immediately like destroying all the small folk. <laughs> <laughs> he says, "You win that sept, not anymore." Yep. Yep, just like goes ham on the the poor fellows and they're yeah. like basically and just like recruits the lords of Westeros and is like, Would you like to defeat all of these peasants? And the lords mm-hmm. are like, Yes, please, we would. And then yes. they do. But he also burns the Sept of Remembrance. Yes. And with like a lot of the faith militant inside mm-hmm. and, and the text indicates that after that their numbers never they were never a strong force again. Yep. After that. Yeah. He takes out like the cream of the crop. And then everyone's like, ooh. And then, then he's like, so we're going to take out the rest of them. And the lords are like, yes. Right. We're going to take out the rest of them. Right. We're very loyal to you because we're choosing this willingly. Uh-huh. Right. Um, so he, he basically just shatters all of the faith militant. And it mm-hmm. says they're never able to recover, though I think that... I think that currently now in A Song of Ice and Fire, we're starting to get a comeback. Until Cersei. Until, until Cersei. Girl <laughs> Cersei slides in. And she's like, you know what's a good idea? Faith. Let's arm the faith. Let's arm the faith. Yeah, let's bring them back. Yeah. They were super great. I don't know what Megor had against them. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. uh, And then he gets married again to his new girlfriend. Third wife. Yeah, number three. The numbers are going to keep going higher, but right now we're on three. Three. Well, um, Alice, what's his second wife's name? Alice Haraway. Haraway, yeah, Haraway. She seems to be into it because mm-hmm. the text describes that she comes back with Tyana. Yeah. And, like, they came back from the east. And uh, the text also says, like, on their wedding night or whatever, they, like, basically have a threesome. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, are y'all just, like, is this, like, a thruple? Is this, like, a polyamory thing? Uh-huh. Are we, like, poly pride represent with Megor the Cruel? You know, like, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Like, but okay, okay. Like, she's participating. And I'm like, you should have included your first wife. It's not nice to leave your first wife out of yeah, your choices right. about I mean, wives. was Cerise even invited? Right, exactly. I mean, she, she's just, she's probably just upset she wasn't invited. She probably would have gone. 
right? I would have been a bit down. I don't see why not. You know, that's fine. Yeah. Um, and then we get to back to our girl Reyna. Our favorite. Our favorite. We love her. Um, yes. And uh, she's now pregnant. Yep. With, with her with her brother's kids. Yeah. And I say and kids because she, she has twins. Twinsies. <laughs> twinsies. The first of many twins. female twins in the Targaryen line. Yeah, there are. We were talking about this before. There's a lot of Targaryen female twins. Mm-hmm. I can only think of one pair of twins that are male and female, uh-huh. and I can't think of any that are male. Yeah, I, and it makes me wonder. I'm not even sure if there are any male twins in the in entire. In Song of Ice and Fire, there are because you have like um those two king those two guards that um oh yeah Eric and has. Eric and Arik. And that's another one, actually. I'm thinking of a different pair. So it's Eric and Arik during the dance, and then um, Elena Tyrell has her guards that she just calls left and right. I forget their actual yeah. names. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, the red, and then there's the red wine twins. If they're not the same, then there's then Cersei. There's the red wine twins. Yes. I'm not sure if those are left and right. I don't remember. They're, but they're all, like, they all pop up as, like, various guards. Yeah. They're almost always yeah. guards. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of the Targaryen family tree, they never have male twins. Yeah, um, that is very strange. And they only only once do they have a male female pair, unless of course you think that Cersei and Jaime are secret Targaryens. Of course, I forgot <laughs> about the secret Targaryens. How silly of me! I'm so, I'm sorry for those of you who believe that. I I'm not a fan I, of the proliferation of. I am Targaryens. not sorry to those of you who believe that. You're wrong. Uh, everyone's <laughs> I, entitled I don't think to Tyrion their... is one either. Everyone's entitled to their opinion except for that one. That's an incorrect opinion. Uh, the only secret Targaryen is Jon Snow. Stand exactly. by that. And Mira Reed. Okay, listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's his secret uh, twin sister. Yeah, of, of course. Of course. Uh-huh. What if she's a Targaryen, but he's not a Targaryen? Ooh, she's the real secret Targaryen. Yeah. Mira Reed. <laughs> oh, it's it's uh, subverting our expectations. <laughs> No, I, I definitely buy into the, um, the Reed kids are um, Ashara Dane's kids. Big fan. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Oh, that'd be cool. That Ashara Dane married Howland Reed, and um, and Mira and Jojen are her kids. We don't know who Ashara Dane married? No. Oh. Well, she supposedly died. Is she the one that threw herself from the yes. tower? Right. Supposedly. Interesting. All right, we'll have to talk about this more. Yes, we, and at another time That's we can talk about my theory. At another theory. time, but we're not. <laughs> we'll talk about a totally different book within the same world. <laughs> very different, sto- yeah, very different theories. That's a very um, interesting, I haven't, I hadn't heard of theory. Anyway, back in uh, this book. But yeah, uh, um, yeah, and yeah. so so Reyna has kids, and Aegon's like, look, I know that my uncle has already been crowned and killed a mm-hmm. bunch of people, um, mm-hmm. but now is the time that I want to claim my birthright now. Right yeah. now. Now I'm that there's already claim. a legitimate king on the throne. Yep. Now that he was crowned and everyone saw it and my mom went to the coronation. Right. Uh, I think this is a good time. Now is, now is the right time. Oh, and Raina says, you dumb, dumb, dumb. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck? She's, I just had two kids. She's like, I. she says, I would die for you, for your right, whatever, but I won't put our daughters in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I would. <laughs> I sure would, though. I sure would. <laughs> oh, man. The one yeah. time Aegon has a thought. 
Shit, it's terrible. It's a very bad idea, and no one can dissuade him. (laughs) All right, so let's get into our analysis then. What was the maester thinking? All right, what are the biases here? Major, major anti-maker vibes. Yeah. Major. Just like, and this is what I think is so interesting about this section is like, I'm trying to think about it and like all the different iterations it could be because mm-hmm. it could be a hundred percent true right the maester could have right. all the facts correct that Megro was doing all these awful things whatever it could be zero percent true it could be somewhere in the middle undoubtedly it's somewhere in the middle yeah right mm-hmm. kind of in the same way that house of the dragon interpreted the dance with rhaenyra and right. how rhaenyra acts um, so that's how i was trying to approach Megor, just because i don't know i think it's more interest for two reasons i think it's more interesting to think mm-hmm. of him as a more multi-dimensional person than just like a like a bad guy. What you and don't find him is just like a straight sociopathic asshole compelling. Weirdly <laughs> enough, I don't I don't find I don't find him compelling. It's like how I don't I don't find the mountain compelling either in the main story. It's like, wow, he's evil. Right. Good. Great. Thanks. You know. Thank you. Okay. Danger. Guess I can easily just root against him then. Right, exactly. It's nice and simple, straightforward. So I think it's definitely more interesting to think about Megor in that kind of way. I also think it's just probably more correct. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I am kind of searching for the quote-unquote truth in this fictional text. Right. So, uh, but the maester, I mean, why does the maester have such an anti-Megor vibe? Why? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think one could make a case for um, some bias coming down just the way that, like, he flaunts so many of the um, social norms in terms mm-hmm. of, like, marrying yeah. so many women. Um, you know, like, Aegon the Fourth, who we will get to eventually, also has a lot of, like, wow, what a shitty guy because he was a man slut. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. And, like, some of the few times that, that male characters get slut-shamed. <laughs> Um, that, like, there could be some of that. Um, I, I don't know. Like, it's been hard for me to figure out, like, why, why he really doesn't like Magor. I do think a lot of it has to do with his personal choices, though. Because, like, as- The Maester's choices or the- Magor's personal choices. That, like, Magor is being, like, deemed a monster based on, like, personal relationship choices. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and some of them get really mm-hmm. bad. You know, like, we haven't even gotten to the, we haven't really gotten to any of the bad ones. Right now, he's just, like, a dude who's married three women. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And, and I mean, maybe, I think... and, like, burned the sept of remembrance and, like, maybe killed some maesters. And that might be part of it, too, is that Magor, unlike Aegon, like, Aegon, when he was conquering, I feel like maybe you can make some leeway of, like, he's killing his own people, but they're not his people yet. Like, he's conquering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it was the invading force. That's true. That's but like, true. once you're the king, and then you start murdering people in the country that you're ruling, people start to think differently. Maybe, like, maybe he, like, mm-hmm. maybe it's like, wow, he's killing all of these maesters and septons. Like, what a terrible guy. He's murdering his own people. Mm-hmm. I definitely think that's part of it. I think the other part of it, and we'll have to save more detailed analysis of this for later on. It's how the story unfolds, right? And the fact that like. Magor doesn't like quote unquote win in history yeah you know I also think this section of fire and blood 
is so heavy on the Dance of the Dragons, it's like half the story later on. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the Maester is planting seeds for the reader to recognize these like bad Targaryen archetypes. Yeah. So that it's easier to archetype Rhaenyra. Yeah. I think that's what it is. It's like, he's like, Visenya, spooky, scary. Maegor, cruel, bad, doing these bad things. You know, um, look at look at his bad marriages. Like, you know, later Rhaenyra will be slut-shamed for, like, Laenor dies and she gets married, you know, right away to Daemon. That kind of stuff. Right. Right. And, like, uh, Daemon and Maegor, like, I I can see Maegor as, like, a, like a Daemon prototype. Yeah. And I think the maester, I mean, the maester writing this knew the entire history and kind of knew what he was writing up to. And whether that was a subconscious bias or a conscious bias, sort of knowing that however he wrote this, he had to make it so that the the correct thing was that the male inherits, you know, like he had to like set it up so that the system of Westeros is legitimate. Yeah. So I do think that a lot of these biases come down to like, kind of looking at the text as a whole and how it affects Westeros at the time he's writing the text. Ooh, I like that. I like that a lot, that, like, he's looking, he's looking, he's trying to tell history with that kind of the end of history in mind. Right, exactly. Knowing where it goes. And I mean, history is written by the victor. I mean, that's that's the concept, right? It's kind of like how we write now about the atomic bombs in Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, us dropping atomic bombs in Japan was a war crime. Yep, sure it was. It is a definition of a war crime. Mm-hmm. But nobody talks about it that way because we won. Right. So, we didn't get punished, you know. Nobody, there was nothing, nobody went to jail for doing that, but that was absolutely a war crime. But it's like, you don't, whoever wins gets to write the history. Right. Knowing how it turned out. Mm-hmm. So right. I definitely think that's part of it. Yeah, no, and I like what you're saying about trying to um, eventually delegitimizing Rhaenyra. Like, you, especially with a lot of these female rulers, and we will get to it when we get to more of Raina's story. That, mm-hmm. like, he really has to paint the usurped women in these lines as, like, spooky, scary, mean. Spooky, big... scary skeletons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Caroline sent me something about spooky, scary ladies last night. My brain immediately started singing spooky, scary te- skeletons. But, like, inserting, like, spooky, scary, like, hey, ladies. Let's see. Well, spooky, scary, Westerosi ladies in the country. <laughs> I don't know. Right. We'll figure it out. But anytime there's, like, a woman who is either, like, angry that she should have been in power, mm-hmm. like, they're like, wow, what a bitch. <laughs> and and, like, and has a legitimate, and has a legitimate claim, because uh-huh. some of them they spend time on, some of them they don't. Like, um, who was the Storm Queen? Argella? Yes. Was it? That there isn't time spent on, like, and she was evil and dark and sorcery, because, like, she wasn't a Targaryen pressing a claim. Mm-mm. But the mm-hmm. the queens that uh, have legitimacy, Maria Martell, um, various Targaryen queens over time, the Visenya, you know, right mm-hmm. now we have Visenya as our prime example. Yeah, the text spends a lot of time being like, no, 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 no. They're not legitimate. They're the oldest, but it doesn't, okay, doesn't matter. They're the best on the dragon, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, you know. Right, right. But, but, they're, okay, but okay. they're spooky and scary and probably do yeah. sorcery and witchcraft and right, therefore would exactly. be a really bad ruler. They've ensorcelled the letter. Like the king <laughs> made the king's hand bleed. <laughs> oh, so yes, he is definitely a big uh, anti-Magor vibe. 
Right, and, and we were just talking about the, this. the misogyny of the, mm-hmm. I mean, we're going to keep, it's going to come up every time. Three Lancer is misogyny, always, with this maester. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, all of Magor's wives and girlfriends are basically, like, slut-shamed and accused of sorcery. Um, mm-hmm. Except for poor sweet Cerise Hightower. And I had this note of, like, I realized at one point last night when I was when I was typing notes, and I was like, wait, I wonder if this is Old Town Bias. Probably. Because yeah, she's in Hightower. Yeah. Like, you cannot mm-hmm. say that, like, and the Hightowers have always, like, been in charge of, like, the like the Maester College or whatever, you know? They're, like, highly yeah. connected. It would be, like, slut-shaming, like, your old college president's daughter. Like, you just don't do that. So, like, yeah. it's fine to, like, every wife of Magor is, at this point in the story, is, like, a terrible slut and probably does a sorcery and is, like, very evil and bad. Except mm-hmm. for, like, poor, sweet Cerise Hightower, who is just waiting, you know, the pure, you know, perfect mm-hmm. Hightower, his first wife, his only true queen, is just, like, perfect and waiting for him to come back to her. And I'm like, yeah, interesting that you, interesting that it is the daughter of the Lord of Old Town that you have such a strong need to say is, like, the best wife. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely true, and then also was like, you know, she was the first wife, so it's easy for people to believe, like, yeah, she's the legit one, and the re- these rest aren't. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the story would have been different if she had been in King's Landing, because at this point, she had returned to Old Town. Yep. So she was separate from these other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if she would have been included in the wedding, if she would have been right. in, like, would she have been invited to the threesome, <laughs> you know, if she had been there? Mm-hmm. You know, would she have done it, you know? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe... Who knows? Yeah. I mean, she's, what, 10 years older? 10 years she older. Older. So. Uh, but, yeah, there's definitely a lot of that good old misogyny. I mean, and that continues also with Visenya. Right. This is where we start. We start to get into real Doc, Doc Visenya stuff mm-hmm. in this, this section. Right. And where... Tana of the Tower, who we've talked about. I just love that, like, George has the line, like, many queer tales are told <laughs> yeah. about her. And then it's like, and she had a threesome with another lady. And I'm like... George, George, I see you. I see what you mean by queer. Gretchen, you know what's great about this line? We both put this in our notes. (laughs) (laughs) Both of us quoted it directly in our notes, and then we combined our notes, and I was like, oh, there it is. (laughs) And it's so funny, because in text it says, many queer tales were told about her, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, is that a pause for me to laugh, George? Is that where you're pausing so I can laugh because you made a joke? I see you. I see your gay joke. I like it. Yes, thank you. I appreciate it. This is the kind of gay pandering yeah. that I will accept. Yes, I'm here for it. Completely. Also, that should be a show. The Queer Tales of Tyana of the Tower. Oh, so many of these things. I'm like, I, I want to see this. Like, ever since we said on our podcast that um, Danish the Dreamer was a, just a really avid environmentalist, uh-huh. I've been like, I just want that television show. I think about it all the time. <laughs> I think about it as a side tangent. I think about it all the time that what if the situation was that the Targaryens were kind of already being run out of Valyria because they were doing incest and nobody else was. Yes. And and at the same time, uh, Danis the Dreamer was like, Dad, there's like this really bad thing going on. And like, what if they got to like a crunch, like a crunch time kind of situation where they kind of had to leave. And the dad was like, well, my daughter had a prophetic dream. And mm-hmm. that dream is that we have to leave Valyria immediately. <laughs> yeah. And like well, and she and she was like, Yes, I had a prophetic dream. Uh-huh. Yes. That's definitely what it is. And they like f- 
faked a prophecy together uh-huh. to get House Targaryen out of Valyria. <laughs> yep. No, I am into that. I am into that. I love the idea that like the, yeah. the, that the prophetic dream is just like a cover. Yeah, come on, HBO. We have so many ideas. Oh my god, let us do this. Let us do it. Do okay, it. so now that we've uh, talked a little bit about the, the Maester's bias, uh, what really mm-hmm. happened? I have no fucking idea. Uh, there's so many options for what really <laughs> happened in this section. Uh, and I love all of them. Um, I don't know, where do you want to start? You want to... Oh, there's this really... There's an interesting citation. Um, Are you talking about the Bank of Bravos? Yes. So when we talk about, like, sources in this and, like, trying to figure out what really happened, I think a really good source is written letters. And letters will come up more and more throughout the story as they get used more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly letters from or to people who have, like, no skin in the game. Right. And the there was a guy from the Bank of Bravos who was, like, at Old Town chilling. And he wrote a letter home saying the High Septon was the true king of Westeros in all but name. Mm-hmm. And... I think that's a really good indication of what people were saying and thinking and feeling at the time because this Iron Bank of Bravos guy isn't biased and right. or or has less bias maybe than others involved and it's actually written down. Right. So it's something that that's like a really nice solid citation as opposed to like other stuff in this section where it's like these words were definitely spoken and like who right. knows if they were. Right. A maester may not have been there but Visenya definitely definitely told Magor that he is the better king and his brother and is a weakling and please just believe me that she absolutely said that she definitely did that's exactly what happened well, right. I don't, that's the problem but yeah when he quotes a letter I feel like we can um because someone could check for the receipts for that I mean not a lot of people right. but like the receipts could be checked and conceivably like you you're less likely to lie or mm. distort like a letter so yeah, I, really, I, mean, I liked that, especially based on our conversation last um, on our last episode about like that's what's going on here is that the like the faith is seeing that it can finally make a bid for power. Exactly, and it does, and it does, and it's yeah. pretty successful. Like up know. until the point Aenys died, like if then like they've been really successful. They were able to like basically take his heir hostage. Mm-hmm. essentially, even though not technically, like, they've holed up Aegon and Reyna in Craycall. Like, they're uh, essentially hostages. Too bad they didn't have a fucking dragon with them, Dad. Mm-hmm. If she had brought her dragon, Dreamfire, that wouldn't have happened. Right? Reyna is always listen, right. Like, <laughs> listen to Reyna. Reyna <laughs> knows what's Reyna. up. Reyna knows what is up, dude. Right. Uh, oh. I like your note about uh, this, is like, this, um, Warrior Sun stuff is similar to what's happening with Cersei and the, and the Faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they see that the authority is weak and um, the authority of the mighty gaming chair is weak. <laughs> <laughs> and are making an effort to exert control out of being shut out of power. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, like, it made me so curious reading this section, like, if maybe this is kind of what the Faith had always wanted. That, like, even before the Targaryens mm-hmm. came, has have, like, people been wanting secretly like wanting to be the king of westeros and not Hmm. just like the king of their own little lordly kingdom but like wanting to be like the monarch of the entire continent all Hmm. along and it's not until the targaryens are like cool all right we have now decided that there is a monarchy in westeros that is the ruler of all of westeros and then suddenly everyone's like oh shit but i want that job though 
Yeah. Like. I don't know. I don't know. Because, like, I don't know that another lord would have thought it was possible before. Right. You know, maybe, like, have they, like, thought about it, like, as a concept? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like, it'd be super cool if (laughs) I didn't just rule, like, the Stormlands. It'd be cool if I ruled everything. Exactly. And I think kids have that fantasy when you're a kid. You're like, what if I was the president of the world? You know? It's like... (laughs) And then you play, like, a game like Civ, and you're like, this is terrible. This I, sucks. This, this is all be a lot of stress. <laughs> yeah. This, no I'm wonder turn, 80s died. <laughs> I'm on turn 400, and I can't do this anymore. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think once the Targaryens did it, and it was unified, right? then it's it's easier to mm-hmm. take over one gaming chair than lots of gaming chairs, right? Right, yep. If you're just, you know, just taking over one in King's Landing, and... You know, as opposed to having, like, you know, Avon the Stormlands have to go to the Riverlands and the Iron Islands and the, mm-hmm. wherever else, you know, the Westerlands, Dorne, etc. So, yeah, I think that the Targaryens opened a, quite a can of worms. Right, right. Cause, and, the, and the Faith is the first one to truly, to not just, like, bid for independence, because that's what we're seeing in a lot of these rebellions, mm-hmm. is not like, hey, I'm Lodos the Twice Drowned and I would like to be the King of Westeros. It's mm-hmm. like, hey, I'm Lotus the Twice Drowned, and I would like to just be king of the Iron Islands again. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the faith here seems to be making a bid for absolute power. That, like, right. they're like, no, we want to be the king of Westeros, actually. Yes. What if it was me? <laughs> what if uh, the High Septon was the king of Westeros? What if we had a theocracy? Yeah! Wasn't that, I think that sounds great. <laughs> I think that um, it's it's something they can bid for because the seven is practiced throughout Westeros. Yep. You know, like the faith of the seven is the predominant religion. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore they kind of have automatic uh, support from all areas. Mm -hmm. I do think is also part of it is like a genuine faith. Like I think, you know, this is a, a religion of spirituality within this world and undoubtedly a lot of the people, if not most of them genuinely believe it. And like, I'm sure they were horrified when the Targaryens came in. The Targaryens are like they're they're foreign conquerors. They like invaded. They brought like their incestuous uh multiple wives thing mm-hmm. and and demanded acceptance and like the faith couldn't say anything at that point, but that goes against core tenets of the faith. Mm-hmm. So like there's no way the Septons at the time were like, This is great. They definitely were like biding their time and waiting for a chance to to launch against this. Right. I think that's very fair. Mm-hmm. And I think the small folk probably were too. I don't think that, I don't I never bought that the small folk loved Aegon or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. they they just couldn't do anything about it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're the bottom rung of this wheel. That doesn't right. that metaphor doesn't make sense, but like whatever, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> this wheel you're ladder. The, 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 you're the spoke in the dirt on the wheel. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something you are you're the lines. spoke that's like in the mud. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of similar to, like, presidential elections, where, like, we know there's a cycle through which we get to pick who's president, mm-hmm. and every few cycles we have one we really don't like, or, like, every individual... No, 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 it's never a situation where every individual is happy. Right. But you just kind of have to wait it out and know that, like, at some point there's going to be a chance to change what's happening here. Mm-hmm. And I can't do anything else about it right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to keep getting my Dunkin' Donuts and living my life until it changes, you know? <laughs> so you just made me think of, like, that whole thing about, like, every time a Targaryen board is born, like, the tar- the gods, you know, flip, flip a, coin, a coin. Which, like, yeah. we will talk about how that's totally overblown. Um, yeah. 
But anyway, of like thinking of that as like, do we have a Democrat or Republican Targaryen? Yes. <laughs> These are all Republican Targaryens. They're, I mean, <laughs> right? Like they're all authoritarians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no, there's no socialism going on. No. In are, are, are they centrists or are they? I don't even. I don't. They're they're literally monarchists. Yeah, so they're, they're literally monarchists. Fit into any party, really. No. Are they more, they're just more, or are they more of an aggressive uh, monarchy or are they more of a building monarchy? It's typically mm. how it goes, I think. Um, yeah. But anyway, speaking of, let's, uh, let's talk about Aenys and how Aenys died. Do we think that uh, he was poisoned or did he just die from stress? I don't know. I, so this is why I don't know because, the, so the options are he died of some natural cause mm-hmm. or... Somebody murdered him. Right. I don't. I don't think like suicide's an option. I don't think he like killed himself or anything no. like that. Um. He was so young. Right. Which makes me hesitant to say it was natural causes because it's like it's not impossible to die when you're thirty five. Right. Uh. But the symptoms that are described are not like like we have a, a couple people later on that die of like a, like appendicitis basically mm-hmm. when they're young. Right. And, like, that's pretty well described. Like, they do an autopsy and, like, there's it's described as a burst belly. Yeah. You know, you could kind of identify that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, like, something like an like appendicitis comes with like a specific set of symptoms that lead pretty quickly to death, right? Right. So, the symptoms described for him is, like, he he's, like, having very bad stomach pains, basically. Right. And he's, like, and aging. Then, like, his he looks really old. Yeah. And... He, like, doesn't look, like, it's, like, wasting almost. Uh-huh. And then the text does say he goes into the care of Visenya and then shortly thereafter dies. Right. So. Or, like, no, he says she, he recovers for a while and then suddenly dies. Yeah. And that's that's what they say is, like, kind of suspicious. Yeah, it seemed to improve for a time only to suffer a sudden collapse when word reached him that thousands of poor fellows had surrounded Craig Hall. So. I said, I mean, a sudden collapse sounds like a heart attack. Right. You know, so, like, maybe he was just, like, generally sickly, and then the stress gave... I mean, you can die from stress from having a heart attack. It's it's possible. Um, it's just what... It's, like, for me, he's just so young mm-hmm. that it's weird. Because he's not described as a sickly person. Like, we'll run into other Targaryens that have just been... You know, some people just are sick, and that's okay. Right. Uh... So I don't know. I'm kind of all over the place because I know they want it to be spooky, suspicious that Visenya did it because she's evil, mm-hmm. right? But I could also see Visenya killing him in a not evil way, right? Like because I could see her being like very pragmatic and being like this dynasty that I built, my kingdom. What is her kingdom? Mm-hmm. Is collapsing, and this man is not doing what he needs to do. And if we go with our headcanons from previous episodes of, like, she tried to be an influence on Aenys and he, like, just never took, and she was never, like, able to, like, really help him or, or like, influence him or whatever. He never took her seriously or um, uh, Aegon before him never took her seriously in training him to be, like, a warrior king. If she's, like, not being listened to, but she's, like, the true monarch of the realm. Like, she right. was the one really truly ruling for most of this time i could see her being like you know for the good of westeros and for this that this kingdom that i've established i'm not gonna let this go right 
Right, because, like, at this point, like, the the tensions with the faith are, like, acute. Mm-hmm. And I could see, I mean, I think this is why she, she crowns Magor, which we'll get to next, mm-hmm. that, like, I do think that Visenya believed that Magor was the right reaction to what was mm-hmm. happening with the faith. Yeah. That, like, the throne needed to have a strong reaction to the faith, and Aenys just kind of, like, going, eh, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, yeah. is not doing anything about it, and I, I do think that Visenya believed that the faith needed to be aggressively stopped. Mm-hmm. And I could see in what you're saying the like it will be better for the realm if there is someone on the throne who is willing to make decisive, aggressive action in response mm-hmm. to the faith, and Aenys is not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very sick, any- you know, like he's stressed out and kind of dithering and not doing anything. So maybe we need, like, maybe I need to do something to, you know, cause otherwise we're going to lose. Right. Otherwise we're going to be run out of this country that we just right put together. This whole, like this whole thing is going to fall apart. Right. And, you know, the, the only person who I, Visenya, can see doing this right is me mm-hmm. or someone who's very well trained by me. Right. Which would be Magor. Yep. So that said, I could also see it being that Aenys had some just a sickness and just happened to die. Right. Right. I mean, or like the entire faith militant wanted him dead. Like, is it, I mean, could it not be possible that there's someone else in the royal court who was trying to poison him on behalf of the faith militant? Like, yeah, we know that they're out there calling him an abomination and everyone wants him dead and wants him out. Like, Mm -hmm. um... This also reads like it's potentially the same poison that killed um, John Aaron. That if it was poison, it was tears probably the Tears of Lease. Yeah. Because that yeah. one, like, presents as, like, bowel problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you want to ex- tell your, your note about Oh, my God. That? Yeah, when I was reading this, um, I, like, I was reading this section, and I got to the part where it was, like, um, like, the that Grandmaster Gawain reported that he off took to his bed with loose bowels and i was like martin are you just making a poop joke about the king named anus having diarrhea (laughs) i totally believe that of him like i think that is what happened (laughs) what really happened was king anus died because george r R. martin wanted to make a poop joke yes yes yeah he wanted to make a joke about like the like the the shitty runny king anus I was like, uh, George. Oh, I love it. What a great, what a great guy. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of all over the place on how Amy's died. So mm-hmm. I know some people are like really into the poison. Uh, what I don't think it is, is I don't think it was Visenya laughing maniacally in the corner. Yes. Pouring poison into a wine cup and like being like, now I shall be in power in the kingdom. Like, I don't think that was it. Mm-hmm. If she did it, it was something that she very seriously considered and like arrived at a, a cold but logical conclusion right that because if anus had remained in power mm-hmm. the targaryens would have been toppled yep like it just would have unless magor came in and like did the shit anyway mm-hmm. but like even then without the legitimacy behind him right. the the whole thing would have would have fallen basically Right, and, like, based on this sequence of events, I have a theory that Aenys might have made a private decree to not field any of the dragons. Like, I'm just so Mm -hmm. suspicious of the fact 
that like no dragons are fielded except for when Magor flies his dragon to um to the Vale. And even then he doesn't use Balerion to attack anybody. Like Balerion right. is literally just like his flying horse. Like <laughs> it's yeah. his way to get in. <laughs> yes. Um but like none of the dragons are used in battle at all during Aenys' reign. Aenys king. That's true. Not even like and we talked about this last time. Not even Visenya takes the field mm-hmm. with with Vagar. Like we don't see that at all. And like mm-hmm. we only see Balerion like going to the Vale basically to fly Magor to the top of the tower. But so like, he would have made a private decree to to whom? Like, to, to just like, to the Targaryens. Court? Like and just said like we are uh, not using dragons. Not allowed. Mm-hmm. And like it fits with what he did with Reyna. Saying, like, no, you cannot take Dreamfire on your royal parade. That, like, mm-hmm. it fits with that idea of, like, nope, no dragons. We're just not using dragons at all. And, like, you... Mm-hmm. It's not in the text anywhere, but I'm just so suspicious that the dragons are nowhere until Aenys is dead. And then immediately after he dies, we start mm-hmm. seeing dragons not just carrying people, but being used in pitched battles. Suddenly I they're if back he, on the playing field. Right. Would he do that, though, because, like, he thinks they're too destructive? Yeah. Or would he do that because, like, he doesn't have one? Maybe both. But, like, I, I, I mean, I could see a bit of the Viserys, like, no, 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 let's not use dragons. Yeah. The dragons are mean, everybody. We don't want to use the dragons. <laughs> right. But also, like, not, not in a, like, I don't have one so you can't either kind of way, but, like, in a, he doesn't have one so he doesn't understand the right. the power and the magical connection and or emotional connection right. to one's dragon. Or know? or you might even be onto something that because he doesn't have one that like he feels weird about it because he clearly feels weird about it with Aegon. Like he's mm-hmm. like, no, people are gonna think that Aegon is weak because his wife has a dragon and he doesn't. Yeah. And it's like Aenys, is that is that you talking there? Do you mm-hmm. feel like you're less of a powerful, and- legitimate king because you don't have a dragon? Wait, I'm getting confused. Does Aenys not have a dragon? I know Aegon doesn't. Aegon doesn't. Raina does. Aenys, does he, Aenys have a dragon? Now I'm now I might have gotten them oh, confused. Oh, yeah. No, he has a dragon. Quicksilver. He has one of the other. Quicksilver, That's yeah. That's right, but he never uses it. He never yeah. flies on Quicksilver. We, like, never hear That's of him more flying confusing. on Quicksilver. He has a dragon, but it ne- So I guess, so then it must be, it must yeah. be, um, that... He thinks they're just too destructive. More like a Viserys kind of. Yeah, that he doesn't want to use them. So I'm just like, I just wonder if there was some kind of inter-family discussion that happened that like the maester never heard about. Mm -hmm. That like, Aenys was just like, yeah, no, we're not going to do it. You can't use your dragons. And if you you do, like you are defying me, the king, and you'd be a traitor. Hmm. I could get behind that. I think that would, would make sense. Because you're right, they are completely absent until his death. Right. And I think that if that were to happen, that would also add into what you're saying about Visenya making, like, that if Visenya is responsible for Aenys' death, this would be a time when you're like, okay, he's not an effective response to what's happening, and he can't even let the rest of us use our dragons, which is the right, which in for mm-hmm. someone like Visenya is the right response. Right. I mean, it is clearly the right response because they win against the faith. Right, right. This right. is in how this you chapter. win. Like, like if they... The, they they say, oh, you want to have a rebellion? That's so funny. I want to have you be on fire. <laughs> and that's and that's it. And it's like, it's very effective. Right. Highly effective. Most people don't want to be on fire. Right, exactly. So I could definitely see that. So so we were also thinking about um, what really happened. Why did Visenya crown Magor? We're kind of already mm-hmm. talking about this. Um, 
Yeah, I tend to think that she thought that he was better suited than Aegon and Reyna. That she just believed that Magor would provide the most effective response to what was happening with the Faith Militant. I do also think that she, I agree with that, but I do also think part of it is that she wanted to have a more direct hand in ruling. Yep. And she had previously ruled through her brother. So the next person she could more, most easily rule through is her son. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't think it's like a, like a you know, run, tapping my fingers together in the corner. Mwahahaha, I am evil and I shall... Power is power and I want to rule for power's sake. <laughs> I think she she has been the ruler of this place mm-hmm. in, in practice, if not in name, right. for most of her life at this point. Mm-hmm. And this is her kingdom, really. So... She watched the uh, the other men, like, screw it up. And she knows she can't just claim it herself, but she's trained Magor. And she knows what he knows. She knows how he'll be. And she can't entrust it to Aegon or Reyna because she doesn't really know them and she hasn't trained them. Right. Yeah, I I like what you just said because I'm thinking about how it must have felt to Visenya to see Aenys, who is basically like Aegon 2.0. Like, I know that the maester does not want to recognize that, that he just refuses to recognize that Aenys is actually just like the spitting image of how his dad ruled but he is Mm -hmm. like I think you and I have pretty clearly uncovered that like Aegon was not decisive he didn't like Mm -hmm. he didn't like being in charge didn't want to make decisions um but Aegon listened to his hot Targaryen wives yes and Aenys would not listen to his Targaryen aunt yeah that's the problem yes right so she's watching Aegon 2.0 in which she has no say and seeing mm-hmm. just how badly it goes when you have a king who who is a lot like Aegon, but no one to direct him in how to make good choices. Like, right. I just, I can imagine how frustrating it would be as, like, an intelligent, capable, powerful woman watching your, like, mediocre nephew. Yep. Fuck it all up. Fuck up the kingdom that you, like, fuck up the kingdom and monarchy that, like, mm-hmm. you consolidated. Like, that would be infuriating. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And just be like, and, to, and especially if we go with the headcanon that when Aegon was alive, Visenya was trying to exert some influence over Aenys. Mm-hmm. And Aegon was like, no, no, he doesn't need, he doesn't need, we don't, we, we, we're done with the conquering. He doesn't need to be a warrior king. Like, mm-hmm. he's good. Like, we, we did we did it. We mission accomplished. We did it, you know? Uh-huh. And if the whole time she was just being ignored and ignored. You know what it reminds me of? Kind of like, and I think we brought this up before, like, how Alicent got frustrated yes. over that 10 years of just being, like, like trying to exert power, but everyone just, like, not listening to her. Mm-hmm. So then Visenya gets into a position where it's, like, she she's watching it all crumble around her, and she needs to pick someone who will not only be capable of doing the things, but will listen to the things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. And, and there, I mean, sh- the only choice was Magor. There was no one else for her to crown. Right, right. And I also think that, like, it makes a certain kind of sense that, like, you don't immediately go to Aegon and Reyna, who are, like, already perceived of as weak because they are holed up. You know, like, they're basically hostages mm-hmm. that, like, even just from, like, a political lens of, like, you're someone who's looking and going, all right, who is someone who has, you know, who I know will listen to my advice, who has, like, the training that I, you know, that I trust to handle the situation, that also the people of Westeros might actually respect? Right. Mm-hmm. You're going to go with Magor because they clearly, like, they already hate 
Reyna and Aegon. Like, yeah. and have been, like, calling them names on parade and, like, throwing shit at them and throwing rocks at them. And, mm-hmm. like, they have not been able to mount an effective response. I mean, mostly because Aenys refused to allow Reyna to have her dragon because Reyna absolutely would have had an effective response to that and would have been like, yes. tell it to my dragon, assholes. Mm-hmm. Um, which she clearly already did. She'd was be like, like, fucking fight me, bro. Yeah, come fight me. Come <laughs> at me. I got a dragon. What are you going to do about it? That, like... It makes sense for her to go to Magor on so many levels mm-hmm. that, like, but if that, she had gone to Aegon and Reyna, I would have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, Visenya, that's, that's No, that's, that's, it would have been totally choice. And I guess the other thing, too, we could think about is, what does that tell us about Magor's character? Mm-hmm. Because, as we've talked about previously, Visenya is our smart cookie Targaryen. Yes. She's our... Targaryen who like knows what's up and is very politically minded and is good at is good at this. She's yes. a very good, very competent ruler. If her son was a dipshit, I don't think she would be trying to put him in power. I don't think so either. I think she made sure he wasn't a dipshit. She like trained him mm-hmm. so that he had all the capabilities. He has all the all the all the aspects that she has. He's just a man. Mm-hmm. Right. So she trained him in that way so she could trust that he was capable of these things. Right. I And I think at this point, when she crowns him prior to the little tourney fight thing, which we'll talk about at Trial of Seven, mm-hmm. um, I think she trusts very much that he's going to be able to do this and has a good read on his character. And that, that indicates to me that he probably had a pretty good character at that point. Yep. I agree. And makes me think that any of the stuff prior to this about how cruel he was is probably sl- later slander. Mm-hmm. Because it was all stuff that was sounded made up anyway. Yeah, like, oh yeah, he killed the cat. Um, he, like, killed a maester or whatever. And, like, things that things that Westerosi care about, like him taking multiple wives, like, Visenya wouldn't care about. That wouldn't be a, a ding against no. him for Visenya, right? Visenya was a second wife. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then there's the Trial of the Seven. Oh my gosh, yeah, let's talk about, let's talk about, um, the Trial of the Seven. So, what do you think about, so, so, the Trial of the Seven is when it, uh, Magor and his four do bros fight the seven bros, and Visenya lets it happen. She's there, and she's like, go. She, she like, calls it for the fight to start. Uh-huh. And it reads as really dangerous, like a really dangerous idea. So what do you, what do you think about that? Because I have theories. I mean, I think she had absolute faith that Magor was going to win. Mm-hmm. And I think probably because she trained him. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> that, yeah. We know that Visenya was, like, the swordest of sword, les- like, sword ladies. I don't want to say yes. lesbian. We don't know. Um, yeah. But, like, she's a sword lady. She's yeah. very good with a sword. Was better than all of, even, probably even better than all of the Kingsguard mm-hmm. um, that she chose to be Aegon's protectors. Um, and she directly trained Magor. So mm-hmm. I do think part of this is, like, she had absolute belief that he would win. Yeah. Um, and he had Blackfire, too. Yeah, he had Blackfire. Um, I think and Dark... No, she must have had Dark Sister, but, like, he had probably had Dark Sister, too. Or Dark Sister was available. But, yeah, he had well, Blackfire. Dur- during, the, during the melee, he, had, he was wielding Blackfire. Yeah. Uh, where Dark Sister was, yeah. Um, I think that it is potentially a way to minimize bloodshed that it's like possibly yeah like well kind of because then he does burn the sept later but that's a him decision right yeah yeah yeah. like i don't know that she knew that he was planning to do that 
Yeah. Like I I like this reads like as very much of like, look, I mean he's go- he's gonna win. I trained him. But like if we mm-hmm. if this can be the way that we defeat the faith militant with minimal bloodshed is just mm-hmm. like seven dudes fight each other, my kid's definitely gonna win at most what thirteen people die mm-hmm. at most. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the way that we can conquer the faith militant, like Yeah. Let's do it. Let's do it. Absolutely. Right now, go. I think she, I, I agree with all that. I think she definitely had a lot of faith in him. I think two more things. One, Basenia strikes me as a kind of person where she's like, well, if you lose, you didn't deserve it anyway. Yeah. You know, like, if he had lost, she would have been like, then, then it wasn't, then I was wrong. He wasn't, wasn't it. Yep. Um, But I think there's another layer to it of her knowing if and when he wins, it confers him legitimacy. Yes in the faith because the whole is like oh well the gods will grant the you know the true ruler the victor so really you know whoever you know we're gonna let this happen because this is up to the gods what happens right it's a way to confer legitimacy when the quote-unquote actual legitimacy is Aegon and Mm -hmm. Reyna that like this gives him a legitimacy that like Aegon and Reyna can't really fight against even though all of this Mm -hmm. is fake this is the thing like I have this note (laughs) later on that we can touch on now that like I I love the discussion after the trial of the seven when they're all just Mm -hmm. going like well you know do we want to let him win do you know like they're just sitting around and I'm like all of this is fake Everything that you're doing, all of it is fake. None of this is real. (laughs) You are sitting and debating, like, you know, pretending there are actual laws that matter that will decide Mm -hmm. who the, like, real, you know, heir of an invading, conquering dynasty. Like, this is all fake. Right, exactly. (laughs) And you made it up, my friends. You made it up. And it's so funny to me that they're like, well, if you beat our champions, then you get to be the real ruler. And then he does. And they're like, wait, but maybe he doesn't. And they're just like pretending like these laws are legit and make sense and are real. And it's just very funny to me. Yes, I completely agree. (laughs) So I I think Visenya, I think like Visenya, it's kind of funny to me. Like Visenya let that happen. But like back when like Aegon, the Conqueror, wanted to have like attorney for his knights or whatever. She was like, no, attorneys are fucking, melees are dumb. (laughs) <laughs> that's not gonna that's that doesn't mean you're a real knight or, or like that you're actually good at this mm-hmm. and you know the fact that she kind of looked at it and said like aha like this can be politically useful mm-hmm. for me i can avoid bloodshed i can confer him legitimacy in the eyes of the faith and i can confer him more legitimacy than uh the other kids that have the technically better claim you know right so i, I do think it was very politically calculated mm-hmm. on her end to let that happen because if she didn't want it to happen she could have shut it down yeah she absolutely could have yeah. just been like no no and that was Talk part of Agar. that was part of what i thought so i'm glad that we had this discussion when i was reading this section is like they could have just been like no valerion dracarys okay we're in charge right. again like they could have just done that oh well, they kind of then do i mean so they then, do so like this is this is the first thing that's like i mean when we're talking about Magor, you know, like, who was Magor? What was he really like? Because, you know, we get, I, I assume most people know he gets to be known as Magor the Cruel. Mm-hmm. Right? That's, like, his thing. Because uh, he does some bad, bad juju stuff. And this is kind of where the bad juju stuff starts. Right. Post, post the Trial of the Seven. 
So up to the Trial of the Seven, there's not really anything. I mean, unless you're, like, really, really against, like, bigamy, and then, you know, you've got your own... And I guess, like, uh, killing everyone in the veil... But yes like, and no because but, but I, I understood like, I that I understood that politically that. because because they had previously put the veil down Visenya had put the veil down by showing up to the dragon they had uh, conceded and then they rebelled so it's like the, okay well the second time now some of you die right mm-hmm. you know like like you know fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on me it's like if you've right. done it again it's kind of like how um sentencing works in criminal law like if you like shoplift the first time we give you probation if you shoplift again you go to jail for a little bit and then we give you probation because you did it again Mm -hmm. so it's like the punishment kind of increases like i can understand that logic Mm -hmm. obviously the maester wrote it as he was unnecessarily cruel but like they were literally rebels who killed the previous right king Mm -hmm. or the previous lord rather of right uh the, the veil so Post-Trial of the Seven, post-severe head injury, Magor starts to do stuff that I think is more, gets more and more violent mm-hmm. and gets more and more depraved over time. And we'll get that that in later sections of this chapter. Um, but like once he wakes up, he just burns the Sept of Remembrance and like kills all the warrior sons. Right. That's a tricky one for me mm-hmm. because... It's very politically pragmatic in that, like we said before, they're never, their power is destroyed right. at that point. But also, they were debating whether or not just to back him. Mm-hmm. So the, it wasn't like they were, I mean, they were still kind of rebelling. Like, they were still technically rebels, I guess, but they were like, he had won the fight and they were kind of like deciding whether or not they were going to honor that. Right. Like, he could have waited. Right. Yeah, that like, Magor doesn't have... Mercy, I mean, doesn't have mercy for rebelling factions that capitulate. Unlike mm-hmm. Aegon. Because that was mm-hmm. one thing we saw with Aegon. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and probably Visenya and Rhaenys. That, like, when lords capitulated, they were like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not gonna do, like, they would fight up to the point that they won and then mm-hmm. stop fighting. Right. Um, Magor, and I think that, like, if there is a change in Magor after the Trial of the Seven in a situation like this, like the Sept of Remembrance, it's a change in degree. That he's, like, turning up the dial Mm -hmm. on, like, a tendency that was clearly already there in him. That, like, he tends to, um, more like Stannis, like, not have as much leeway for like mercy when mm-hmm. rebelling lords capitulate like stannis is more likely to be like oh you've been fighting against me this whole time and suddenly you want to join my side one of you's probably got to die like i gotta mm-hmm. set an example for the people mm-hmm. you know that like i don't like he I, doesn't he's not as merciful also... to people who like turn to his side in the same yeah. way that like Aegon was and i feel like mm-hmm. i mean stannis doesn't burn everyone down but like Stannis has that same kind of resistance to like showing mercy to people who were like former enemies mm-hmm. like turning to your side he's less likely to be merciful to them and I think that Stannis Magor's has, like that yeah I agree I agree I think we know more about Stannis right because we, we see him more than we do Magor so Stannis has almost like an emotional response <laughs> 
to that. <laughs> yeah. Like, like he feels like personally offended that you weren't following him this whole time. Uh-huh. Um, I could see Magor also having that. I I think it's also comparing Aegon and Magor. I think is a really good comparison, but it there's a there's a difficulty in it in that Aegon was invading a land mm-hmm. that was not his. Yep. Right. Like, so everyone was automatically going to be against him. So then once they turned against, once they turned in his favor, he accepted them, right? Magor is having people who are actively rebelling against him. Right. So it's like a different kind of flavor. These are mm-hmm. traitors. Yes. Like when you're invading a country that is not yours, they're not traitors to you. They were, they never were loyal. Right. Mm-hmm. But if someone's already loyal to you and then changed their minds, yep. like they gave you an oath of fealty and then they turned on you, that's like the ultimate sin in feudalism. Mm-hmm. Right? Because feudalism won't work if that's happening. Right. So... I think that that's also why I think that the the harsher response to rebels to like people that have broken their vow to you mm-hmm. makes more sense to me than like a very harsh response to a land you're just invading for the first time. Right. So I kind of get it, but you know, it's the the fact matters if you're using violence or something, there's almost always some way for you to do the same thing without using violence. Right. Yep. So and we, as we talk about different kinds of violence, there's, you know, liberatory violence, conquering kind of violence, violence just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. I think the maester wants us to think Magor is violent because he likes it. Yep. Which maybe later down the road he does. Right. But yeah, it feels like at this point he's not quite violent because he likes it. Like, to, I can see... Like, no, I don't think I so. I don't agree with his use of violence in this situation, but I can see how someone would come to the conclusion that he does, especially mm-hmm. with the faith. Because we were saying earlier, the faith is now the biggest threat to le- Targaryen legitimacy. Yep. Like the f- the faith almost killed him. The, I mean, he yes. almost died. Yes, the faith like almost, almost killed him. The faith, like, has been was able to whip up like an army of four po- poor fellows that's ten thousand strong. Like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like this is a lot of people. And when you're looking and going, ooh, like that is you know. 10,000 poor fellows you got however many of the warrior sons like they're a legit threat and Mm -hmm. one that I think as you were saying I think rightly so that like the faith has its hold everywhere they can field Mm -hmm. from the entire Westeros because Mm -hmm. everyone you know maybe except the north and definitely not Dorne um so from maybe like the four kingdoms that are like central Westeros (laughs) or five you mean the seven kingdoms we united (laughs) But, like, they can pull from all of that um, that they're the biggest threat to actually usurping the Targaryen dynasty. That, like, mm-hmm. none of the other lords probably could. at this, Definitely not at this point. And maybe not even ever. Um, because mm-hmm. Westeros is so big that it's, like, harder to consolidate power across the entire continent. But the faith is the biggest threat. And so mm-hmm. when you are, like trying to reassert control and you have this big threat like again i don't agree with it i'm not saying it's right i can say at least understand magor's response being basically we have to make sure that they can never be this big of a threat again we have to absolutely demolish their base of power which is what he does it's it's a tactical decision yes it's like again not to bring everything back to me playing civilization four but this is one of the (laughs) one games i play consistently um Every now and then, I take a city and I burn it to the ground. And it's, like, just, like, because it really damages the other team. Mm -hmm. And it's, like, would I have liked to have kept the city for tactical reasons? Sure. 
but it's easier to capture it and burn it to the ground than have to defend it. And it like hurts them. Right. It like hurts their score. It makes me it makes me stronger than them. Mm-hmm. And they lose that resource of that large city, right, to produce stuff in the game. So yeah, it's the same kind of thing. It's like they I need to strike right. in such a way that I cripple them. Mm-hmm. And he does. Yep. That's ex- that's exactly what it does. It does cripple them. Yep. Yeah, so I, th- I think that he is, at this point in the story, not being cruel for cruelty's sake. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that he enjoys it. I think he is making tactical decisions. Um, yeah. Well, what do we think about him, um, his marriage, when he gets married to Tiana? 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 I always forget how to say her name. Tiana? I don't think it matters. Uh, Tiana, yeah. Uh, when he gets married to her, uh, the, the text says, like, he has to, like, like, everybody's cool with the marriage except for this, like, one maester. And he, like, comes down to the throne and, like, kills this maester with black fire, right? And then he's trying to get married and none of the septons will do it. So he kills, like, half a dozen or a dozen septons before one will agree to marry them. Uh, I think that's all bullshit. I think, that, think? I agree. I think that's a t- <laughs> I think that's made up. This is, this is why I think it's made up. The text says in the same paragraph that, that he and Tiana were wed amidst the ashes and bones of the warrior sons uh, on the Hill of Remembrance. And I'm like... That's super metal and, like, so hardcore for, like, a wedding decor to have, like, literal bones. But also, that's not true. <laughs> yeah, that's made <laughs> that's up. That's just not true. You just, that's, that's just the some... vibes. You just. I mean, can you imagine? That would be a cool Valyrian ceremony if you get married on, like, a pile of bones. With your, like, your, like, hot, mysterious Eastern wife uh-huh. who's got dark hair and magic. And you're, like, and she's your third wife. And it's, like, blood and whatever. Yeah. And also, why would he? Why would he need a septon to? Ma- I mean, maybe because he's trying to make it legit with the faith. But he wasn't married to his second wife with a septon. He did a Valyrian ceremony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he could have just done a Valyrian one if he really needed to. Like, right. Come on. I just get the sense that like he just wants to have him murdering septons and maesters all the time. Mm-hmm. That like, if there's a chance for Magor to have murdered a septon, he probably will, and that makes yeah. me suspicious. <laughs> Especially the maesters, because like. I just, like, Gildane has such a strong bias against Magor, and I feel like part of the way he's trying to say Magor is bad is because Magor is murdering just the poor record keepers, just, just the, the, just the, the historians. The, the, the people that are just serving, the maesters just serve, and the septons serve We're the just faith, unbiased scholars. Anyone. Like, why yes. are you murdering us? Oh, why would they, why would he be so cruel? Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. Yeah, I think that, I think that those stories are just, bullshit that like yeah that he didn't actually need a septon to legitimize his wedding and if he wanted to like why would he kill them why couldn't he just be like i'll just find another one like i yeah. don't need to murder you but i'll just find another one like there are plenty of there's septons. no there's no utility to murdering them if anything it would make the faith more angry right yeah so like you know he would be trying to do something to make the faith more angry he's trying to appease the faith I just also find it hard to believe that any Septons would resist after he literally burns down the Sept of Remembrance and destroys the Warrior Sons and, like, shatters the poor fellows that any Septon would be like, no. I know you just murdered one That's of That's a you good just, point. You just destroyed one of our, you know, sacred places and shattered our entire army, but you know what? I'm principled. I refuse. Yeah, yeah that's a really good point. <laughs> just, because I... I just, I, mean, other, I just imagine Targaryens... being like, sure, sure, I'll marry you to your third wife. Do you want a fourth wife? I don't, just whatever, just don't How kill me. <laughs> How many wives? Look at all the wives. 
Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, it's not like unheard of for Septims to marry Targaryens in weird marriages. Uh, Aegon and Rhaena were married by Septon. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they've always refused or some such bullshit. Right, it, yes. That's a really good it, point. Maybe, maybe this is also, maybe part of this is, is aggrandizing and self-aggrandizing because he's, um, it's not self-aggrandizing because the, the maester is not a Septon, but aggrandizing the, the maesters, right. uh, sorry, the Septons, to say, like, look how brave they were. They laid down their lives mm-hmm. for their faith. But it's like, no, they didn't. Right. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. They did not, friend. They rolled right over, buddy. Yeah. You can't. Yeah, um, they said not a problem. So speaking of marrying Tiana, I, or yes, mm-hmm. whatever we want to call her, I have a theory. Okay. That I think that will be really interesting to carry moving forward. So mm-hmm. it's about why he married her. Because it's like, okay, he's got three wives now. Why Why is he marrying all these women? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that the maester really just wants us to believe that he's just like a horny man slut. <laughs> Which he could be, that's Which fine. Which could be, yeah. but that's fine. Be. Whatever. Yeah. I, no judgment. Long as- as long as it's all consensual, it's fine. It's Dude, fine. It's totally fine. But yeah. I don't think that's why. Okay. I think that he wants whatever children he has to be legitimate. He's trying now. He now it feels like he's starting to maybe be at the mm. point where he needs an heir. Now that he's a king, he needs an heir. Mm-hmm. Um, he couldn't have a child with Cerise. Also, she's not there. Um, he's yeah. been married to Alice for however long. No kids. No kids. Like. That he needs an heir, and in order for his heir to be legitimate, it has to be from his wife. Yeah. He can't just be sleeping around. I see what you're saying. He, he can't just be sleeping around. He can't just be sleeping around. Or having, around. like, paramours or whatever. Yeah. Like, when you're the king, oh. you can't just fuck whoever you want. Or you can, but then your kid's not going to be legit heir. If you want a legitimate heir, you have to be fucking your wife. Right. Hmm. So he's starting at the really process of, like, well, I need an heir. Yeah. So I... In order for any child I have with this person to be my heir, they have she has to be my wife. Mm-hmm. So he's going to start marrying women so that he can get an heir. And at this point, let's see if a if Anus was thirty five when he died. I believe Anus is five years older mm-hmm. than Maker. So Maker's like 30. 30. So he's been fucking since he was twelve. Because yep, twelve, ew. thirteen. Yep, yep. Uh, gross. More than half his life. Uh, yeah, and he's got no kids. No kids. Yeah. Oh, that is definitely something I'm sure he's worried about. Yep. And I'm sure Visenya's worried about. Right. And that, like, to me, that makes more sense than any explanation that the maester could come up with. That, like, mm-hmm. and especially because the maester is not going to immediately hit on the fact that Magor might be infertile. Because, like, this is patriarchy. You can never blame the man. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a, I wonder if Magor might have started to suspect that perhaps... He might be the problem. I wonder if Visenya started to suspect right. that. Right. I, I don't, I think it would depend on, you, you know what would be, what would be really interesting if, if it was true that Aegon the Conqueror was infertile and Magor wasn't even Aegon's son, like if Visenya kind of knew, but then no, but then Magor wouldn't be related to Aegon to, I mean like, I guess infertility could just happen. Mm-hmm. The, the question I would have is, would they even know that men could be infertile? Right. Because they would label women as barren all the time. Right. But was it even something, like, in their lexicon to know? You know, like, scientifically? Right. Right, right, right. I don't know. Maybe not now. I feel like we have reason to believe, with the way the story goes, that at least someone should have been able to start being suspicious. (laughs) That maybe the problem was Magor. But at this point, um, I think that he just wants wants an heir. And so he's going to... 
whoever he wants to have an heir with, whoever he's going to be trying to have an heir with, has to be his wife in order for the child to be legit. So he's just going to start right. marrying women. I like that. I like that. I do also like, because I'm a, uh, as I've said in the past, I like um, romance plots. Um, I I like the idea, like I said last time, that he married Alice because they actually had, like, a love, like, they fell in love or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I would love for Alice to be, like, a bisexual icon yep. and be, like, out in the East and meet this woman and fall in love with this woman and be, like, you know, I love both of you. What if we did, like, a throuple and Megor, like, loves Alice and it's like, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We could do that. Then I'll have another wife and I could have more heirs. Great. Perfect. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. I like that version where, like... Tiana was initially Alice's lover. That's what it sounds like. Because yeah. Alice was, like, out east still and, like, comes back with her. Right. And is like, and, hey, here's a new wife for you. Yeah. And she's like, so, I have a new girlfriend. But listen, <laughs> she is DTF. So let's go. <laughs> we could make this legit. Um, yeah. Yeah, because that is... I know that the that the maester tends to be weird about like queer things. Mm-hmm. So there's always a part of me that is like kind of skeptical when he's like especially when he's talking about a spooky scary lady doing sexy things. I'm always like mm-hmm. did she really do that sexy thing or are you just trying to make her sound more spooky and scary because under patriarchy women with sexual agency are spooky and scary? Mhm. Mm-hmm. But this is one time and maybe this is my queer bias showing up where I'm like I believe it. I believe that they had a threesome. I believe it. <laughs> I believe. I do believe it. I believe they had a threesome. I I just, I do believe it. I think that it would be really hard for Megor at this point to maintain two wives in the same vicinity if they were not okay with it. Right. Later on, he gets, like, more cruel and more controlling and stuff like that, and I will get to the, those bits. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, he's, like, a pretty regular warrior king kind of dude. Right. And I don't see him being like, you know, you girls have to get along because I've decided for this marriage or whatever. And it doesn't, the text doesn't say, like, he brought Tyana over. Mm-hmm. It says, it says that Alice returned with her. Yeah. Um, so that makes me think that it was Alice's decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, Alice of House Haraway, Maker Targaryen's second wife, had returned to Westeros, but not alone. With her sailed another woman, a pale, raven-haired beauty known only as Diana of the Tower. Some said she was Maker's compliment, others named her Lady Alyssa's paramour. Yep. So, I mean, I just think that the fact that they're coming together, like, if there was animosity between them. Mm-hmm. And also, Alice could have always gone, she could have always left. If she was like, I mean, like, like Cerise did. Right. You know, Alice could have said... No, I'm not about this multiple wives thing. I'm leaving, you know. Right, right. I mean, I think that, the, like, the worst possible interpretation is that, like, Megor was a controlling bastard who, like, you know, his none of the women were able to argue much. But, like, that doesn't seem to fit. You're right. That, like, at this part of the story, that doesn't seem to fit. That, like... That's not what's described. If that was what was happening, actually, the maester wouldn't have written it like this. Right. That Alice was, like, a participant. Like, it would have been, like, Megor was cruel and he had an iron fist with his wife and he wouldn't right. let her go and she was kept in a tower cell. You know, like, he would have leaned into that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think that, I think this is a uh, Polly Pride represent. Love is love. Love is love. Love is love. Mm-hmm. 
Just just poor Cerise, as we mentioned earlier. Poor Cerise is not included. She just should have been invited. Mm-hmm. It's really rude. Um, I didn't invite her. Yeah. Like, can we talk about how gross it is that that Alyssa Valarian had to participate in Magor's bedding ceremony? Like, that's just... Like, look, I think the bedding ceremonies yeah. are always just super gross. I was going to say, the, can we talk about how the bedding ceremonies are gross? Yeah. <laughs> Every time I read that they're happening, I'm like, I want to throw up in my mouth a little bit. Do people actually stand in the room and, like, watch them have sex? Is that the idea? Or are they, like, outside the door? No. Well, okay, so the idea of I've gotten, maybe I'm wrong, is that, like, mm. it happens on both sides. Yeah. That, like, a bunch of dudes, like, strip the wife naked and a bunch of women strip the, the man naked. And then they are, they're carried off to the bedrooms and put in the bedroom and the door is closed. Like, no one's standing there watching, but, like, people are outside the door. Yeah, I, people are definitely outside the door. There's a, I'm trying to remember, um, in A Song of Ice and Fire proper, there's at least one reference to people being in the room during it to watch it occur, but it's it's unclear. It's something I've always wondered about right. exactly I mean, how they do it. There probably are various ways to do a bedding ceremony, but I think yeah. all of them are all gross. gross. They're all disgusting. All well, you know you know, Ned never let them let him and Catelyn have a bedding ceremony. Because <laughs> he's so honorable. <laughs> He's so honorable. Ned. Ned didn't. Ned didn't fuck those. The kids came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Game of Thrones. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, David and Dan. But I just, I just feel like, I don't know. We'll get to this, but like poor Alyssa. Just this. I. She has yet to be anything but just make me sad whenever I read about Alyssa Valarian so far. Yeah. She. Well, she currently has like very little characterization. Right. She's just kind of present mm-hmm. and. Not doing um, so great. Uh, so yeah, um, I think to wrap up, Tiana, we can do. Uh, is it magic or did we trick you? Um, do you think Ooh. that Magor died? This is interesting. So here, I, I had think we never can get heard into the theory this about like what happened to Magor. Yeah, I had never heard this before. So what's what's the theory about him dying? Um, the theory is that he dies, and that Tiana, mm-hmm. like Melisandre, brought him back to life. Hmm. That this is kind of like a John parallel. Um, and, and under this okay. theory, I mean, we know that Martin loves a Frankenstein. We have it with the mountain. Yeah. Um, we're going to get it with John. Um, and this, this goes back into this, like, parallels a theory that I happen to believe in, um, which is mm-hmm. that John is going to come back wrong. It's called the John yeah. comes back, yeah, the John comes back wrong theory. That, like, when John is resurrected, he will have been dead too long um, kind of like we see with Lady Stoneheart, and he's in the process of the resurrection. He's going to lose some of his humanity. He's going to come back less of a person. He's going to be more mm-hmm. violent, more aggressive, more like a wolf, because um, mm-hmm. he's probably his soul is probably going to hang out in uh, in ghost, in yeah. ghost, um, which we know is what happens with skin changers is that their soul goes into their animal and they can eventually become merged. Mm-hmm. But like John's going to come back, kind of like a wolf. He's going to come back wolfish. Um, so mm-hmm. he's going to come back wrong. And mm-hmm. what it is possible, like I have seen people theorizing that that's what happened with Magor, that like mm-hmm. Magor did actually die, and mm-hmm. Tyanna resurrected him like Melisandre, and he came back wrong, and that's why so, after that's why after the trial of the seven, he's mm-hmm. more aggressive, more violent. I think it fits. It's just another way to talk about what you're saying with a TBI. That, like, you can mm-hmm. say he had a TBI and have the same symptoms. Or, like, in the magic version... It could be magic. It, it, it could, could be, be magic, magic, and he actually does. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, 
I mean, I don't dislike it. My, my short answer is I don't know mm-hmm. because this is a universe with magic and resurrection. Right. So it could be that. My question would be, he's laid up for 27 days. Tiana arrives on the 27th day and he wakes up, right? Or the next day he wakes up. So was she already en route? She must have already been en route from Essos. So it's kind of like awfully convenient mm-hmm. that this a sorceress who can do resurrection arrives like what did Vicente just like keep his body like or was he like kind of alive and he then he died and then she resurrected him mm-hmm. you know like right what I, you i mean you could sit around and and do these logistics and kind of figure out the right. the timing's a little convenient mm-hmm. for it to have been that right um but not impossible mm-hmm. it's also possible that it's not magic, and it was just that he had a very severe head injury, which, if you recover from, takes quite a while to recover from. Mm-hmm. And um, the return, it wasn't Tyana at all, it was the return of Alice. Right. And it was the fact that Alice came back, and if we go with uh, a Magor-Alice romance kind of situation, mm-hmm. his his love coming back, right. and the, you know, also their new their new third wife mm-hmm. <laughs> their new wife coming uh was the kind of thing that just like got him to get up right basically because like when people get sick like if you're sick particularly for a long time and you're like bedridden getting back up and sort of getting at it into like your regular daily routine again is like a big deal mm-hmm. and it could be just like emotionally difficult and here he is 30 years old having just had a near-death experience right and you know the faith wanted him to die that entire, I mean, the hundreds of people that rode up to that mm-hmm. wanted him dead. And he hadn't experienced anything like that before that. Right. Where people want, where specifically didn't want him. Mm-hmm. You know, there were people that didn't want Targaryens, there were people that didn't want Aenys, and whatever. But he hadn't been targeted like that before. That's quite an emotional blow. You know, particularly a 30-year-old. Like, I'm 31, but like, you know, like... 29, 30, like that, like, you're still, like, a young person. That's, like, quite an ego blow to be, like, rejected like that. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think a lot was going on. I, I could I could explain it with emotions and yep. regular healthcare stuff. Mm-hmm. Or I could explain it with magic. It really could be either. I don't know. Do you think she resurrected him? No. Okay. I actually, yeah, I don't. I think that this, I think the symbolism is there mm-hmm. of, like, that symbolism of like a near death experience that you come back from and are changed by and changed yeah. by in a bad way. Yeah. I think that thematically it matches what we see with John and mm-hmm. what we see with the mountain and what we see with Lady Stoneheart and like that like this is this is a thing that Martin is doing about like death or near death transforming someone mm-hmm. for the worse. It makes you yeah. worse, actually. I, I personally am not convinced that John is going to die. I actually kind of think John is going to be is non-fatally stabbed. Okay. I think he's very close to fatally stabbed. But I don't think he's actually going to, like, full-on die and come back. Okay. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. But that's uh, just my thought. But, like, I the only the I think I the only way like he's going to come back different. Oh, definitely. The only, like, full re- resurrection we get is Lady Stoneheart. Lady Stoneheart. Yep. Yeah. Right. Because even the mountain is is very close to dead. But he's not resurrected. He's 
fantasy magic kept alive. Yeah, same with Beric Dondarrion. It's like, I don't know yes. that we ever actually know that he dies. We just know that he's, like, dying yeah. and brought back. Right. And he's, like, fatally wounded and preserved. Right, exactly. Um, so, And that would fit. That, like, Magor is, like, fatally wounded. Like, mm-hmm. a grievous wound that could kill someone and is brought back and he comes back different. He comes back changed. Um, mm-hmm. And you could say that's magic, you know? But I think that there are also, like medical reasons why you come back different, you know? Like, yeah. Especially well, just, when it's a the, head the trauma. Wound. Yeah, like the trauma of, I mean, for John, if he's non-fatally stabbed and survives that stab wound, he was just stabbed by all of his brothers. Yep. You know, like, that's, like, fucked up. That's, like, fucked up shit. Mm-hmm. That, w- that would change anybody, you know? Right. Or it could be magic, I don't right. know. Right, or it could be magic. Um, and we also have, you know, we know that Magor suffered, like, a head wound. So I think, like, I really like mm-hmm. your theory that, like, there is a TBI that happened here and that. Yeah. Because I do think that, and this is something that I think will be interesting to trace as we keep reading, is whether or not Magor is actually acting differently or if it's mm-hmm. just the dial is turned up on yeah. some things that character traits that we saw before. Right. Um, so far in this section, I it feels just like the dial has been turned up. That mm-hmm. like, we've seen that he has a an aggressive response to traitors. So right. burning the Scepter of Remembrance is more than, like, murdering a garrison of people at the Vale, but it is in line just more. Right. Just the dial's been turned up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, yeah, I think we can trace potentially that, like, he's not, like, a new person, but he's also not just, like, an, an evil inhuman monster which like the maester right. clearly wants him to be just like not a person and i guess part of that too is going to be do we as that dialing up continues do we attribute that to you know an injury do we attribute that to magic do we attribute that to the power the how power corrupts mm-hmm. do we you know attribute that to society i mean like or, or is it some combination thereof right you know, yep. and I think that's definitely something for us to keep tabs on. Right, right. As we go. Right, and I think that th- that part of that could be that he's airless. Mm. And, like, we have historical examples of what it looks like for a male king to not have heirs and the kinds of things that can happen. Um, at yeah. this point, he's not quite a Henry VIII figure because he's not murdering any mm-hmm. of his wives that aren't giving him kids. He's just mm-hmm. marrying a new one. Um, but we do have historical examples of, like, the things that men will do under patriarchal feudalist monarchies when they Mm -hmm. do not have an heir. Like, what kinds of violence they might be tempted to enact. And at a certain point, I feel like this isn't giving away spoilers to say that, like, under patriarchy, and you're the king, and, like, one of your jobs is to produce a male heir who will carry on the throne after you, like, you can see that at a certain point that's going to just inevitably turn into misogyny. Yeah. Like, it would oh, it'd be, well, like it would be really hard to avoid it becoming, like, this is the fault of all of the women around me that I cannot have a male heir. Right, exactly. No, there, there is no self-reflection in Westeros. No, <laughs> no, nobody's like, maybe it's me. You know, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, no king. Maybe it's me, said no king ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So I think the other other person we have to keep uh, tabs on, which I don't know if you, I don't know if you want to keep tabs on this character, um, Reyna Targaryen. I kind of want to keep tabs on her at all times. Always love her. Uh, 
She is mentioned for like a paragraph of this chapter, okay. but we're going to talk about her for the next 45 minutes. Because um, <laughs> we love her. <laughs> She's great. So she, there's like a little mention of the fact that her, uh, when she's stuck at Craig Hall, her um, girlfriend is there, Elaine Royce, her like close friend or whatever. <sighs> Elaine just then, seems great. She does seem great. And then they're like the other people that come there to like um, uh, declare for them is um, Melanie Piper, uh-huh. who's uh, described as a former favorite. <laughs> it's her ex-girlfriend. So, so Raina's ex comes, and I'm like, this is the queerest culture on the planet. <laughs> it's like, she is like, it's like your ex-girlfriend and her new girlfriend are in a castle together, and she's being, like, held up by these dudes, and, like, so you, but you go to help because, like, you stay friends with your ex. Like, it's mm-hmm. just so, it's so tracks. Yep, yep. All of <laughs> Reyna's exes are like, all right, all right, family, we're siding with Reyna. No, I'm not going to tell you why. We just yep. are. <laughs> there, there, she is the true, I mean, he is the true king, Aegon. Yep. That Aegon. Aegon. Not, <laughs> not Reyna, just, just Aegon. This is, this is about Aegon. Um, uh, I love your note. Do we think Reyna and Melanie hooked up for old time's sake? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just like. <laughs> yes. 100%. Yes. Um, uh, no no doubts. I just like, it's it's got to be just such a unique experience to like be super deeply loyal to your girlfriend while she's pregnant with her brother's kids. <laughs> wow. Not, yep. Yep. It is. <laughs> Like, not just her husband's kids, like, because clearly she had to get married. But, like, it's her brother. Like, her brother is her husband, and she's having her brother's kids. And you're just like, I still love you. We're still girlfriends. Do you think um, Aegon knew? I feel like this is just talking from my gut, because nothing in the text tells me otherwise. Um, Yeah. I feel like Aegon knew. I think so, too. And seems fine with it. I just think, I think he, I don't think he was as dopey as Amy's. I don't think he was, like, I think he was aware enough yeah. of what was going on around him. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that Reyna's trying to hide it. Especially given, like, you know, much later on, we'll get to more stuff with Reyna later in her life. Uh, given how she asks throughout her life with her her, her best favorites or whatever they call them. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't think she's ever really tried to hide no. that that's what's going on. I think she's just like, yeah, this is happening. No, and like, as we will see, this gets like, the Maester is not into it. Um, not a fan of the fact that, mm-hmm. that Reyna just kind of like f- seems to be maybe not flaunting, but like not hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's another one of those like misogyny and like miso- your misogyny is showing because like mm-hmm. dudes were allowed to have mistresses. Yeah, I think also part of it is like, is like I think Aegon probably knew and probably just didn't care yes. because, because like, it was regular Targaryen practice to have multiple spouses. Yes. And I I just don't think it was something that even crossed his mind as, like, a, an issue. And as I can imagine, especially on top of that, um, a measure of, like, non-threatened because, like, right. um, when it's, when your wife is queer and she's fucking other women like you don't have to actually worry about legitimacy issues mm-hmm. um, exactly that 
you know, I can imagine Aegon being like, I don't know, just have fun. Sounds great. Yeah. Like, as long as, <laughs> as, long as you are having my children, which, like, the only kids you're going to be having are mine, because, like, he's probably the only dude that she's ever fucked at this point. Yeah. Oh, and I think absolutely. only because she has to. And only because she has to. And I'm sure Aegon's also like, women can't have sex anyway. Like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, they're just hanging out in bed. <laughs> they just talk. They have pillow fights. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sexy Targaryen pillow fights. <laughs> Uh, HBO. Give us, the, give us the sexy target. <laughs> um, I just have to, I just have to, to voice a, a minor complaint to mm-hmm. Archmaester Gildane. I, I object to your okay. framing that all of his life Aegon had been considered the heir apparent when you have literally told us twice that there were people that believed that Reyna should be the Reyna heir. Was, like you yep. literally have told us more mm-hmm. than once that there were people who were like, I don't know, she's the oldest. Mm-hmm. And now, and now you're like, well, well, Aegon, all of his life was the heir apparent, and I'm like, I mean, kind mm-hmm. of yes, but also you are conveniently forgetting that there were people who sided with Reyna. Yeah, and I think that fits into your theory that like he's writing this history in order to delegitimize any kind of female. Yes. Any kind of female authority. So, like, he will acknowledge at certain points that, like, oh, well, I mean, some people, I guess, also thought it should have been Reyna. But, like, when it comes down to it, he's like, oh, yeah, but but everyone knew it was Aegon. We all know that yeah. everyone knew that yeah, it was Aegon. Yeah, obviously. It was Aegon. Yeah. Oh, that makes me wonder about Visenya and, and why Visenya picked Megor. I, I wish if Reyna hadn't been married to Aegon, I wonder if Visenya would have picked Reyna. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Right. Right. Um, but, like... And there's one other tiny connection here that feels like a song of ice and fire, which is when Aegon's mm-hmm. like, "Hey, now is the time to take the throne from my uncle. Now that now that the mm-hmm. faith has been put down by my uncle, yeah, it's my now turn. That now that the faith has been put, now that my uncle survived this holy little little uh, kerfuffle, now that my uncle uh, put down the faith permanently." Now that my uncle has been crowned in front of everybody, including my mom, mm-hmm. who went to the ceremony, um, and now that you, my wife, have had twins that everyone's saying are incest abominations, let's do it. Let's do it. Now's let's the time. press that claim. This is the let's great go. time let's to press the claim. Yeah. And, like, Reyna yeah. continues to just say the smart things. Who's like, no, let's not. Yeah. We've got babies now. Let's think about the babies. And keeping she's them like, safe. Why don't we flee somewhere east yeah. and like go live our lives? Right. And he's like, No, I want to be king. And it it totally is reminding me of Rob Stark heading south in the Saga of Ice and Fire. Mm-hmm. When Rob's like, But they killed my dad. And Kat's like, Right, but a lot of other people have died. Um yeah. let's maybe go home. Let's 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 right. go home. We've d- you've done the war thing, you've played the you've played the war thing, like you did the Game of Thrones. Good job. You used the amiibos on the board. Yep, we, yep. we loved it. We love to see yep, it. Yep. But um, if you keep going, I I just have this feeling bad things are going to happen. And he's like, I think it's going to be fine. I think everything's going to be yeah. great, and I'm going to keep fighting because they killed my dad. But like, I'm yeah. getting major like that. Reyna is doing the same thing. Cat is doing and just going. Look, this is a bad idea. Let's not. Let please. Let's just go home and be safe. Like, let's go home and be safe with our babies and like be fine. Mm-hmm. Um. And he's like, no, thank you. No, I really want to fight this. And that's where we end. And I'm just kind of like, 
oh no, the tragedy is coming. <laughs> if people just listen to Raina, you know? <laughs> like, just listen. I mean, like, and and I, I don't want to, like, be like a, like an angry lesbian on the internet, like, sh- like shitting on all these fictional men. Uh, because we will encounter some that are, are functional. Yeah. But so far, mm-hmm. of the Targaryen kings, what the hell happened, dude? Like, Aegon the Conqueror, super dopey in his Aegon Fort. His heir, Anus, similarly dopey, named Anus. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Aegon now is, like, just just bad decisions, one after the other. Yeah. I mean, Makor is at least, like, competent, but we'll get into his issues later on. But, like, just the incompetence abounds. Yes. And meanwhile, the women around them seem to be very competent. Mm-hmm. The ones that are characterized. The ones that we don't get a lot of characterization for, we don't really know. Right. Uh, but the ones that are characterized, the Visenya, Rhaenys, uh, Reyna, they seem to, like, you know, know what's up mm-hmm. and be able to, like, manage this much better. And I'm just like, right. just listen. Just listen to them. Listen to your women. Please. Your hot Targaryen wife has good things to say. Mm-hmm. Say them. Listen to her. Yes. Yeah. That should that should be the theme of our show. Always listen to your hot Targaryen wife. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh- <laughs> I would if I had a hot dog during my life. Look, yes, there. absolutely. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I feel like we can talk about Alyssa getting shafted a little bit. I know that we are uh, going long, as always. It's, it's so, you know what? Everybody. It's happening. It, we, we did a really good, our summary was only 20 minutes. So right. This is just <laughs> all deep dive. We're good. We're good. It's This is the brand. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked a lot about the different women who, love and, like, who get shafted. Um and the ways that they're, you know, characterized. Um, Alyssa, yeah, I mean, Alyssa's, like, really disempowered. Yep. Because uh, she does not have a dragon. Um, she, you know, she just kind of... She's, like, kind of our first woman in this chain that is, like, really uh, a victim of the patriarchy. Yep. She doesn't... She has almost no agency. Mm-hmm. You know? And she just kind of gets shuttled around from place to place because she's forced to because she's told to and she doesn't have any way to say no right yeah and so like when she like quote unquote participates in Bagor's crowning i'm like how mm-hmm. willing was this like oh it wasn't willing at all like it was it, but it was optically great for Bagor, right that she was there it was like oh well even you know Aegon's mom is here right so right but she's got like three young kids like i just mm-hmm. like this just i see this and i go oh my gosh this makes so much sense for her she's got three like Jaharis and Alisan and uh Viserys? Viserys. Yeah, they're all still yeah. really young. Um mm-hmm. at this point. So like she has to stand there with her three children. Um and I she, like I totally see this as her protecting them. As like Oh yeah. She has her eye on the prize. She's playing the long game. Yep. She's like, okay, like whoever is ruling right now is whatever, but I just need to do what I need to do to keep myself and my children safe. Yep. And if you need me to come, you know, to the bedding ceremony, I'll fucking suck it up and do it. Like, you know, whatever you need me to do, I'll do. I'll do the performance because I, I'm just biding my time. Right. And I just want to call out that, like, even though she's barely in the text um, in terms of, like, her having agency and what she's thinking about, I just, like, get the impression of her as being really brave and really strong. Mm-hmm. That, like... Yeah, I completely agree. To make decisions like this, to have to, like, experience, like your husband dies while you still have three young children and then like you've got Mm -hmm. like a civil war basically happening where your brother-in-law is 
you know, taking the throne that, mm-hmm. you know, under the rules, under the very fake rules, like, mm-hmm. should go to your kids, but you have mm-hmm. no way of fighting it. Um, she's got to be terrified. Like, yeah, she has three children. She has five children, three of whom mm-hmm. are young and with her, all of whom are technically threats to Magor's power. Right. That her mm-hmm. continued existence and the continued existence of all of her children, but especially the three little ones that are with her right now, are a mm-hmm. threat to Magor's legitimacy. And, like, mm-hmm. for her to just, like, still be there and participate and then, like, as soon as she can get out just strikes me as just, like, really brave. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think you had a note about Jaharis and Allison, uh mm-hmm. here as well. I think that while we don't get a lot of Alyssa on page uh, and tons of characterization for her, we get a lot of Jaharis and Allison later. Mm-hmm. And I think their characters are very much formed by these years. Right. Because they're very young when their father dies. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have a big hand in raising them. Yep. Um, but they're growing up in this kind of tumultuous situation. So, yeah, they would pull their strength and their knowledge of ruling, their ability to, uh, you know, understand politics and things like that from their mother. So, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think that she's the reason that they are characterized as they are later on. Yep. So, Viserys is 12. Jaharis is seven and Alison is five. Yeah. So for, I mean, as we will see, Alison and Jaharis turn out pretty well adjusted. Mm-hmm. Like for them, yeah. for them to be the kinds of people that they are in the story, I mean, Alyssa must have just done an amazing job as a parent taking care of them because, yeah. like, they by all accounts should be more fucked up by all of this than they, than they end up being. And to yes. me, that tells me that Alyssa did some things really well as a parent, even if it's not on page. Mm-hmm. Like, we just have to infer it from the way that they turn out. Um, yeah, absolutely. And she, I know she gets shafted by the narrative because she's not there, but, like, that's why I keep wanting to come back to her and be like, what can we tell about this character who's shafted by being missing that, mm-hmm. like, the, the maester just does not care about her? Mm-hmm. Um, and she seems to have been really important. Um... Because I also think that we can infer a lot about Reyna, potentially. from mm-hmm. Like, infer a lot about Alyssa from Reyna, yes. from the way Reyna turned out. Because we know Reyna's not really much like her dad at all. <laughs> right. And the kid that's the most, like... Well, I know, because Reyna's the oldest. Mm-hmm. But, maybe, but she's, she's a girl, so... Right. Because Aegon seems to be kind of like Annie's. Right. Maybe not as incompetent, but he, he seems to kind of take after his dad more so right which makes sense but if you're like the if you're the heir presumptive and you have an heir presumptive you're going to spend most time with that kid because that's what feudalism teaches you to do yep. right so right uh and that's and that's why you get this long line of like mediocre targ dudes because like right any learned Aenys learned from aegon and this aegon probably learned from Aenys who learned from aegon and magor's mm-hmm. different because magor didn't learn from any of them Mm-hmm. He learned from Vesenia. Exactly. He learned from one of the competent Targaryen wives. This is exactly everyone needs a competent Targaryen competent wife Targaryen or mom. Wife. Yep, absolutely. Exactly. Um, Love to see it. But yeah, I know we're running out of time. We could talk a little. We don't have to, but we could talk a little <laughs> bit about you know ways of wielding power. And we talked a lot about that when we talked about Magor. That like yeah, there's like diff- yeah, we kind of hit on this already. Like different mm-hmm. power types, and uh, I, I think that'll be 
a theme we can come back to as we get the rest of Magor's story right. as well. Right, but we can definitely uh, already say that he seems much more interested in consolidating power into a singular position rather than the sharing of power that we saw with Aegon and a little bit with Aenys. That, mm-hmm. like, both of them wanted to be like, hey, well, like, we can share power and, like, I will be the king in name, but, like, you can be my hand and you can also be in charge. And, like, um, Magor right off the bat does not seem to be all that interested in sharing power in any meaningful way that his approach seems to be much more of like power needs to be consolidated into a single person and that person needs to have um, like ultimate power right? like a much more absolutist power than the other kings that we've seen and I think that's because Visenya was the one primarily running Westeros up until now up until uh, mm-hmm. I guess Anus really, and you know she she worked with I mean because Rainus died and she worked with Aegon too, but ultimately it does seem like power did consolidate Visenya at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and that so that that, that vision of power is uh, much more immediately destructive than the kinds of yeah. power that we saw under Anus and Aegon. I think when it comes to Targaryens, like the coin flip concept is dumb, yeah. but. I think one thing we see in power with Targaryens is there are Targaryens that are patient Mm -hmm. and there are Targaryens that are not patient. Mm. And you've got your patient Targaryens are Aegon the Conqueror, um, Rhaenys, Jaehaerys and Alysanne later, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Your impatient Targaryens are like Visenya, Maegor, King Aerys, you know, all the way at the end. Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. Because it's like the... The Targaryens that have the ability to, like, not take an emotional affront to you misbehaving and, like, think it through mm-hmm. are the ones that use less violence. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I also, I mean, I like a little bit the symbolism that we're seeing that, like, Aenys dying, like, we're already seeing this kind of the waxing and waning of the Targaryen hold on power and, like, mm-hmm. what that represents um like that the corruption that monarchy has on like the the king's body which oh interesting um, Ooh, i like that yeah with kind of like we saw it a little bit with like Aegon getting you know maybe being cut by the throne like all of the like cut by the throne mm-hmm. symbolism fits into this is like the way that monarchy is like equally corrupting to the person in power as it is to the people who are mm-hmm. underneath this power that like mm-hmm. I feel like Aenys dying that way fits like like whether he's poisoned or not like his his body was like corrupted to the point that like it just gave out whether it was because someone made it that way by poisoning him (laughs) or because the stress of it killed him right like and dying so young in comparison because Aegon the Conqueror lived to be 60 yep ish Mm -hmm. and then had a stroke Aenys lived half as long yep like oh god yeah uh so, yeah, I mean, I think the, the weakening of it. I'm also trying to think about the disempowerment of women. I think we'll need more of Mager's story mm-hmm. to talk about this section. There was the potential for this section to be very Dance with Dragons. Yes. Because Reyna is the oldest child of the king. Mm-hmm. And Magor is the uncle. Right. You know, so it's like, it was, there. there's like a similar setup for that, but... Reyna was already married to her brother. Uh-huh. So there wasn't... Nobody ever, like, really pressed the... Like, the Reyna... The concept of the Reyna claim comes up, but it's not really pressed because she's already married to her brother. Mm-hmm. Right, but they wanted it at the beginning, right? Isn't Visenya the one who was like, how about you 
How about we engaged my son Magor to the baby? Yeah, there was some talk <laughs> that would have been that would have been a smart political marriage. Damn it. <laughs> um. Yeah, just like Damon going to Viserys and being like, how about I marry your daughter? That also would be a smart political marriage. <laughs> I'm not I'm not pro-incest in real life, but these are fictional people, so it's fine. Right. Like, th- these are smart political marriages. Right, and if we take okay. the stance that we want the Targaryen line to continue and have power, there are certain decisions that fit with that, which would be, like, right. Maegor marrying Rhaena. Um, right. Or Damon marrying Rhaenys. And marrying Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra. Yeah, like. Yeah. Those are the decisions that should have gotten made if what Viserys wanted was to consolidate Targaryen power. Yeah. And continue to legitimate uh, it. But but Viserys thought, they'll just do what I say. Yeah. It'll be fine. Because I'm king. And <laughs> everyone will be so happy with me. It'll be great. Um, yeah. All right, so. All right, Gretchen, I think we very thoroughly analyzed yes. this 10 pages. <laughs> Wee. Listen, listen. You guys chose to listen to this podcast. I can't help you with that. It's true. So let's pick our <laughs> next section. <laughs> so our next section, we're starting at the paragraph. It's page 82 for those using a book. Um, it starts with the paragraph, the dawn of the year 43 AC found King Magor in King's Landing. Mm-hmm. And we got to go 10 pages from there. So, now this chapter only has like 20 some odd more pages. So, ooh, there's some, there's some illustrations of cool dragon fights hmm okay so yeah. we're gonna for next time we're going to read from page 83 to page 94 83 we're starting at the paragraph that starts at the dawn of the year 43 ac found king mango in king's landing that's on page 82 we're going, oh 82 my bad mm-hmm. uh and we're going to end on the paragraph that ends with after her death the queen's body was cut into seven parts and her pieces mounted on spikes above the seven gates of the city where they remain until they rotted. So as you can see, guys, it gets really dark really fast. Sure does. In the next ten pages. <laughs> Things are going to escalate real quickly yep. here. And then the podcast after that, we'll, we'll just finish out the chapter. Uh, so that's Ooh, what, what Two we'll more doing. episodes and we will be done Ooh. with this chapter, this very long <laughs> chapter. <laughs> it's fine. We'll be 100 pages in, approximately. Tenth of the It'll way be through great. this big giant book. <laughs> We're having fun. We're having a good time. All right, so... We are a, a big a big girl podcast now, big boy podcast, big person podcast. We have an email address. Hooray! My good friends. Wow! Uh, I have been putting it in the descriptions of the podcast as well, so you can check it there. But it's House of Fire and Blood Podcast at gmail.com. If you have questions or feedback, or if you want to be a guest or anything like that, you can email us directly there, and we will uh, see them and answer those questions, maybe even possibly on a podcast if we get any. Um and I wanted to let you guys know that House of Fire and Blood, I'm including in my podcast network. So my podcast network is Tiny Cat Studios, which I have with my dad. And uh, it just means that three pod- there are three podcasts that I'm on. So if you're interested in different kinds of analysis, the other podcasts are History in Reverse. That's the podcast I have with my dad where we read science fiction and talk about it. And the other podcast I have is called Gaze, G-A-Z-E. That is, uh, I'm working on getting that on all the platforms. That's with my friend Jen where we... Uh, read or watch gay media and analyze it uh, in a similar fashion um, like Gretchen and I do here. Uh, so if you want to email that and talk about any other podcasts, um, the email for that is tinycat.studio26 at gmail.com if you have any interest in getting in touch with the, the pod network at this time. Uh, so yeah, so 
I guess it's time for us to sign off. Yep. Are you ready? Yeah, sure am. All right. Well, until next time, guys, remember, sharing wives saves lives. And also, the aristocracy will always align with the consolidation of power at the top. Eat the rich. This is, a, this is an anti-monarchy, anti-billionaire podcast, just in case you didn't we know are, that. We are, not, we are not in favor of billionaires or monarchies. Nope. So until next time, guys. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Bye, everybody. Bye. So, I have to keep my voice up. I have to remember. I have to wake myself up. Yes. Right. You, <clears throat> honey. <coughs> so, yeah, speaking of honey, back when I lived in um, a different city, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. People don't need to know where I live. But I lived in a city that had a lot of farmers, like, in the area. And mm-hmm. at one point, I found on Craigslist, there was, like, this husband-wife pair of high school teachers who, in their, like, off time, um, had an apiary, Ooh. just, like, for fun. And they lived, like, a 20-minute drive away. And so um, every month or two, I would drive out to see them, and they would sell me a five-pound jar of raw local honey. Oh, my God. For $25. That's amazing. Are you kidding? When I buy honey at the Red Fair, it's, like, 30 bucks for, like, a little jar. I mean, like, right. it's good. It's worth it. Right. Totally. But I was, like, yeah. and they were, like, I I don't know. I was one of their first, like, repeat customers. And I was like, I will buy this from you, like, every two months. I'm going to come back. Yeah. And then they started implementing a program that if you brought back the jar, it, like, washed, then they would give you a dollar off. So I just had this, like, yes, <laughs> constantly had, I like, love that. a giant jar of, like, raw local honey that these just, like, science teachers had made. Oh, my God. That's, like, a couple so that was, good. like, they were, like, let's have bees. This would be cool. And they're, like, oh, my God, what do we do with the honey? There's what do we do? honey. <laughs> Now we got to sell it, I guess. It's like when people get chickens. People don't, like, in Jersey, there's, like, quite a lot of farmland. And people don't, like, a lot of people get chickens because you don't need that much acreage to have them. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize, like, a chicken lays an egg, like, very frequently. And suddenly you're like, mm-hmm. I have three pet chickens. And suddenly you're like, I have 5,000 eggs. <laughs> <laughs> so you drive around Jersey, you just see signs, free eggs, free eggs, free eggs. Oh, my all gosh. Yeah. I want free eggs. Yeah, they're all everywhere, and we've got a pretty healthy chicken population. Oh, can you hear my birds chirping? Yes. Okay. I'm sorry. Give me one moment. I'm going to go cover the birds. I had left them uncovered because they were quiet, but now they hear my voice and they've woken. Mm -hmm. So I need to go put the birds You have woken the dragon birds. I've woken the birds. Don't wake the dragon. (laughs) Don't wake the birds. I'll be back.